Welcome back to the Everyday Hair Colorist. Today's guest is Errol Douglas, MBE, uh, well known in the industry, salon owner, global ambassador. I mean, the list of things that you've done, Errol, is absolutely amazing. Welcome. Welcome, Jack. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited. I've even dressed up for you. Even You can't see. I know you can see us, but the audience can't see. <laughs> well, you always look dapper to me, Errol. Thank you. So I really wanted to talk to you. I mean, you've, had this, like, you've got this amazing career and it's obviously spanned a long time. But I wanted to talk about how it all started for you. How did you get into hair and what was your early career like? Ooh, I first got into hairdressing because it was almost like a calling um, for me. I wanted to be a priest, but they kicked me out. So I kind of um, went towards hairdressing. I was always drawn towards fashion, people, and um, the energy of all that was really good for me because I grew up, uh, I'm one of five, all my brothers were academic, so they kind of, you know, they deflected. There was no light on me, put it that way. So I was able to do what I wanted. My parents were great in the respect of backing what I wanted to do. I went to art uh, college and art school, and um, but it was always hair. So hair, I knew from way back, about four, five, and I pursued everything. I was brought up in East London, Hackney, so you couldn't really say you wanted to be a hairdresser because you had been beaten to a pulp. So I kept that very quiet until I, um, I went to college. You know, there are a number of men who have come on this and talked about the fact that they wanted and loved hair, but they were frightened. And it's a, it's a time period, I think, as well, because yeah. it's probably easier now. Yeah. But there was a lot of fear around pursuing your dream based on stereotypes. Yeah. Well, put it this way, I went to um, uh, a grammar school and um, it was all boys, and honestly, absolutely no way you could show your sexuality or you could show who you really were because you wouldn't have been deemed as... They wouldn't, not say, trust you. Um, and I think through life, you know what I'm saying, you have to keep either on the wrong side or the right side, and some people want an easy life. So for me, I just wanted an easy life. But um, it's quite interesting now... Um, the people who I come across, and you know what hairdressing's like, you know, if you're successful in hairdressing, you become, you know, it's, it's, I won't say iconic, you become known. And it's quite interesting, all my school friends and all these people come out the woodwork, oh, Errol, you know, they all want to know you. But um, they didn't want to defend you then. So it is quite interesting. But at the same time, I don't think it was a stigma. It was just, if you wanted to survive and live, that was, you know, you just didn't mention anything to do with especially hair or fashion because if you speak to anybody in fashion or makeup uh, around my age, they would probably say the same thing, which is really sad. And it doesn't happen today. No, I mean, that's the great thing about how times have evolved, yeah. I'm sure. Okay, so Errol, you found this passion. Um, how did you go about, how did you go about sort of, Finding an apprenticeship. I mean, what did it look like in those days for you? I mean, how did you navigate that road from grammar school into the industry? Um, okay, so this is going to sound really calculated, but it's it wasn't at the time. Um, my parents um, uh, from a country called British Guyana. It was British then, and they came over here in in the forties. 
So my dad, because he was in the police force over there, his indoctrination was however you approach life, you know, you always have to have a suit on, you always have to have a tie on, you know, you'd always have to look your best, okay? And my whole pursuit through my hairdressing career, I I didn't stalk certain people, but I I had two options, either to go to... Three options, actually. Either I had to go to Villa Sassoon, John Frieda at the time, or Trevor Sorby. Right. None of them wanted me. (laughs) (laughs) I went went to interviews on on all of um, the stores at the time. And they... Because I was quite... I'm tall. I'm six foot four. And at the time... And, you know, I'm not saying there was any discrimination there. But they said, "You're, you're too tall. You would never make it. And I think they were quite intimidated of how I dressed because I went um, to the interview in a suit and um, my dad always told me to look people straight in the eye. So when I was talking to them, I was like, look, <laughs> looking them in the eye. And um, yeah, it was, it was just so ironic. And in the end, I got the biggest break of my life because um, I met Paul Edmonds, who worked for a guy called Roger Hart. And... At that particular time, they worked in the South Bank of London, which was um, IPC and Coin Street. So imagine IPC, biggest uh, magazine uh, publishers in the world, meaning um, in England. And then right next to um, IPC was um, ITV. So, and Paul did everybody. Yes. He did all the fashion editors. He did all the TV people, and at that particular time, I was his um, first assistant, or his assistant, and um, Paul had this option because he always wanted to rotate people. So all through my my apprenticeship, he kept me. So I was with him for like, you know, two and a half years, nearly three years before I qualified. And literally, that was my huge step into the world because I was quite young, um... I qualified at 20, and when Paul moved from there and got his own salon, I was art director at his salon at 21. So that's quite a big responsibility to have. And um, by then, we had um, Lynn Franks, who was doing the PR. Um, And obviously, people know her from Absolutely Fabulous. You know, she's the uh, (laughs) crazy person. (laughs) Um, And... Literally, he he, Paul just had this great affinity with linking up and knowing the right people because at that particular time, uh, the person who controlled London Fashion Week was Leslie Gorin. So Leslie Gorin just did all the shows, all the big shows you can possibly think of in London. And she was putting myself and Paul forward. And at that particular time, um, we bumped into somebody called Jane Galpin, who put all the hairdressers on TV. Right. The history is it's, it's incredible. And it, it goes even further because those people, and, you know, I was one of them, were still kind of, you know, obviously the ones who are doing stuff are still relevant today. Obviously, people have gone in different directions in hairdressing, but I think it's quite interesting. You either get the people who have gone onto the big blue ship conglomerate side or you get the people who are still working. Yes. You know, who are still, are still grafting. But at the same time, it's, um, fr- from my point of view, it's, it's, it's a steady, I'm always building, you know, 
I, I, I never um, stand still. I don't stagnate. I've got a great team, you know, as well as uh, my reputation. The salon is uh, 22 years old this August. I was going to get to that bit, actually. I, I was going to, I wanted to talk to you about the salon, but I just wanted to go back there because um, back to when you were training with, when working with Paul and that whole BBC ITV thing that went on, because that was unheard of at that time, wasn't it, for commercial hairdressers to be going in. And I know that Paul spent a lot of time with the makeup artists at the BBC, um, showing them how to do hair for film and TV and stuff. Yeah, we, we, we had um, the contract to train all the makeup artists um, for probably about, I don't know, seven, ten years until they changed everything. So any major show or any major film, we had a part um, in it or we supplied um, hair and makeup and colour. So, but at the same time, which was great, um, BBC obviously tapped into Hollywood. So um, we connected with um, a lot of people from Columbia TriStar. So just imagine at that particular time we were doing all the big major TV things like Homeland and then we got involved with um, all the big pictures. So that was quite a a huge um, um, experience, but the experience, and you know what it's like doing a celebrity, just taught me how to just completely, you know, I had to calm down. You know, you can't be um, too excited doing people like that. You know, you just have to kind of reel it in a little bit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But there is that moment, I suppose, when you're young and you see these people and it's like, it's so exciting, isn't it? It's just like, oh my God. Kind of yeah, thing. but you can't look like you're affected. You know, you have to... No. You have to kind of quell that excitement. And that's taught me a lot over the years. And obviously, um, that's my indoctrination with the team. But, um, you know... A celebrity doesn't want, you know, their hairdresser or their makeup artist being all starstruck around them because, you know, you have to treat them like normal people. Yeah. The good ones love you to treat them like normal people. Absolutely. I've always found that working with Paul that, you know, you, you walk into the salon and you see these people and you're just like, wow. And yeah. you're like, oh, oh, hello. And they say yeah. hi and it's just all yeah. normal. There's nothing special in it. And I don't think... They just want to be respected, like everybody wants to be respected. Yes, absolutely. The one thing uh, I think in this industry, which is very telling, is a lot of people want to be successful, but they don't really know how to be uh, successful. And it's, you know, they, they don't have longevity, meaning, you know, you hear of them for a year, half a year, and then they're gone. Well, you know, I heard years ago, the average salon life was about seven years for a salon to go. They lasted about seven years. And I think this was when I was in the States. And then they, they fold and staff leave and they go on. But you've been in, you've owned a salon for how many years now? A very successful salon too. Yeah, we opened in 1998. Right. Um, so we celebrate 22 years this August. Um, we're literally uh, in the heart of um, Knightsbridge. Uh, because Knight, Knightsbridge or uh, Mockham Street, or just say Knightsbridge, has got a nickname. Um, it's the heart of Europe. So every anybody who's anybody, if you go to London, you're going to go to Knightsbridge, you're going to go to Harrods. So Knightsbridge is a pretty cliquey and fantastic area. So when I was looking for the venue, because previously to then I was at Paul's, which was in um, Bosch on Place. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then I, I, I didn't want to go too far. Um, there was no kind of um, clauses there in respect of um, working. So my target was literally to find a cool area in Knightsbridge, which is hard because it, if, if it's too busy, meaning blue chip and thoroughfare type of thing, you're not going to last because I'm not taking the same money as Versace or Gucci. Yeah. A unit did come up in um, Sloan Street and it was just astronomical. And previously to that, uh, one of my places where I used to go to for a drink was um, a place called Mockham's. And on a Sunday, I was walking with my wife, then wife, and... Uh, our little child was in the pram and I saw this shop, double fronted shop. And I literally forgot at that particular time, Mockham Street was known for its art. So it had interior designers, it had antique shops. That's all it had. And um, I thought, wow, wouldn't that be great? So we called the number, went to see the unit. And what was so special about the unit, Jack, was it had a front entrance and a back entrance. So, and now... Uh, in this climate, how it is, it's perfect because now the street is pedestrianised and at the back we can have tables and chairs. So there's a there's a whole life going on in Knightsbridge. Yes. But um, the, the, the most amazing thing with securing that shop was it was just so impossible, but we did it because we knew the agents. But um, in that particular area, if you haven't got, um, you know... A covenant, or you don't know the landlord, or you don't know what's happening, they will shut the door right on your face. So, I happen to do quite a lot of people from <laughs> the Grover family. Uh, I do, do a lot of people in the area, affluent people. So, you know, I, all you had to do then is drop a few names. There was no key money because most of the leases now, then as well, you know, you have to put up a lot of key money to get through the door. Yeah. Um, our rent at the time was not a lot. Um, and I would say our rent then was about 40 and it's now 170. So you can see... Of how pounds? Yes, pounds. <laughs> 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 I only deal in pounds, Jack. Yeah. And uh, at that particular time, when we first started, because we hit the ground running, because I had a team of... Um, we started with 20 people then, and now we're up to 47 but it is 47 quite, people. Yeah, in, in the one unit. The shop is quite... It looks small, but it's not. It's a, it's a double-fronted. It's over 5,000 uh, square feet. It's, it's big. And how, how, how it's um, designed, and especially now with, you know, distancing and stuff, it's worked perfectly because uh, we don't have a um, reception. So a team of 47 people... Yeah. That's a big team, isn't it? So besides your inspiration, how do you keep your team inspired and motivated? How do you do that? It's, that's a hard question, but kind of a... I break it down um, in order, okay? Okay. I, the salon is definitely not about me. I've got an amazing uh, business partner, uh, Kim Clayton, and her background is accountancy and commercial businesses and properties. She's got a property company. Everyone we speak to here, really, they are, either have a business coach or a business partner. And so there's the 
like you, there's the, the, the face of it and the artistry, and then there's also somebody that looks yeah. after all the other stuff too, because it's a hard one, isn't it, to be creative and like money-minded as well. It takes time to learn that. Absolutely, but the, the main factor of the business is, obviously, I know what's going on. Um, I'm not running it day-to-day because uh, Kim's running it day-to-day. So she's my business partner and she's head of operations. So what we used to do, we used to have a manager of the whole salon. And right. that never really worked because they have to be in too many places at too many times. It's, it's basically impossible. And um, sometimes managers, how can I say? And I, I'm, I'm revealing a lot here, but sometimes managers tend to... Um, have favoritism to certain people and in a small team that's disaster yeah okay so we got rid of um the, the overall manager of the salon and we had loads of big meetings and as the salon because it is quite a big operation uh, i've got four receptionists so i made a senior receptionist and that was her little troop so she was in control of um, the receptionist. Right. I've got, in total, operational in, in the hair, earning money for me, I've got 21 people. Right. So I had somebody take over the stylists, but I segregated the colorists because I've got five colorists and I made somebody head of the styling team and then head of the colour team. Right, so it's mini teams within a big team. Yes, yeah. And some people can't handle that because it's too much to get it, uh, sorry, delegate, but it works, Jack, beautifully because we do come together a lot, but we don't have to come together every week. No, because each team can come together, can't they? Yes. So I, I try to have meetings every fortnight to a month because we don't really need to have it uh, all the time. When the business was young, obviously we had to do that. But at this particular moment in time, there's so much drive within the salon. It's great. So I have a lot of people in that salon who just love doing hair. They're doing hair within the salon. I've got one or two people who do the same stuff as me. But the majority of people, as you know, I need them in the salon earning money. They can't be all running around like, you know, like, like me. So, but the salon creatively works. So when I need them to come on shoots or do London Fashion Week or do some um, uh, TV stuff, they all know how I work. So we motivate each other because we have a senior artistic. We delegate um, quite a lot. But then again, what happens within the salon, which I love, is, you know, the salon's always up for different awards, uh, not besides you know, my awards, it's up for Salon of the Year, you know, quite a few things. So I, I'm really proud of the Salon because we've won Colorist of the Year, we've won Salon of the Year, we've won London Lifestyle um, Awards, we've won Junior of the Year. There's lots of things we've won as a team, not just as Errol Douglas. So that makes me really proud. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be proud of in that though, isn't there? There's a lot to be proud of in that. That's sort of like how you've sort of managed the team, but how do you keep your team inspired? And how, it's a two-pronged question here, and how do you stay inspired? I keep my team inspired by 
and feeding them certain opportunities. So I do a lot of international shows and international shows means a lot of travel. So um, one of the team, I took um, them as far as Australia and you know, obviously they couldn't believe it because I did a big uh, hair expo show there. So I've got, re- I've got rewards, they're the rewards. Um, if I'm doing a British hairdressing shoot, because I do quite a lot of collections, yes, they can come on the shoot. And not everybody, you know, can come on these shoots because um, it's such a closed set. So that's another um, opportunity. If I get a TV opportunity and it means me needing somebody for colour or, um, you know, it could be somebody from a colour department, from the Afro department. Again, I would pick and choose. Everybody has their little rotor of how often um, they can come. Uh, I sit down, do lots of brainstorming with them, uh, take their ideas. We put the ideas together. So, again, we're always looking for a trend. So, especially with colour... Because uh, most of my collections, um, we always highlight colour. It's only over the last year or so I've ventured into black and white. But um, Errol Douglas of London, meaning our collections are really colourful. And it's all about colour. We promote colour. You know, our business, I would say we do at least uh, 90% of colour. We do a lot of colour. And we have an Afro department, so we do a lot of um, straighteners, uh, we do extensions. So there's a lot of... We're very active. So I keep them motivated yes. that way. And also we have uh, a trade press person and we have a consumer person. So again, I do not want the everything and the quotes coming out as what Errol said. So it could be Eve saying something from Afro. It could be Anna, who's head of our education and long hair but now what we've done with her we've put her in bridal so we have a lot of bridal so there's a load it's like it's so huge uh and at the same time if um something's going on you know we're obviously i know we're going to talk about this later i feed them to instagram or i feed them to facebook or i feed them to twitter because we've got all accounts on all those feeds so again i'm empowering them in that way and they're giving me ideas so, you know, it, it, it's a two-way street. And how I get inspired is, um, even though I'm, I'm at a lot of big trade shows, I do a lot of shows, so I'm always the person who is, you know, oh, because obviously I know everybody in that way. So I go backstage, you know, have a look what they're doing, or I sit in the audience. It's quite funny how you can do hair and people think, you know, just because who you are and who I am, I can't sit there watching a show. I'm always watching shows. I get so excited. I find watching shows and watching how people educate and how they do things, I often can have aha moments in that. And I'm like, it can be very inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. You know I, mean? I always think that it's that whole quote of it, if you stop learning, you might as well just give up, really. Um, especially in something like our industry. We're surrounded by so many young people yeah. and so many people with fresh fresh perspectives on things that it's important well, to know. One of um, my biggest attributes or something which I love, because obviously it was talked to me by Paul, is I mentor a lot of people. I don't just mentor my team. So I've got people all over the world, Jack. So again, I can call on them. 
as my team members. So, and I think that's inspiring. Um, I did an amazing show in um, Italy um, a couple of months back. At um, no, was it? No, we didn't. Sorry, um, October last October for Cosmopoff, and it was amazing. It was insane. Great um, opportunity because we were right in the middle. Anthony Miscolo was on first. I was on second. Sam Riz. There was only three Brits and all the rest were international. And it was insane. Beautiful show. Really good models. And I took then um, a young lady who won a competition in the fellowship called Step Up and Shine. Uh, Her name's Evangeline Barrett. And I took her. So she was my literally first assistant there because we had uh, about 20 models. You you are known, though, for looking after people, for for the fact that you do like to mentor, all the stuff that you've done in the fellowship. You you know, you do you do help sh- shut people shine. Yeah, yeah. And it's a really nice quality. The, the thing with that, and I really do mean this, is, um, you know, and I, I think it's, it's one of those great sayings because that's why you always have to be careful with the people who, you know, you scream and shout at. And I'm talking about... Um, the runner in the studio, the intern, those people become quite powerful people. Yes. So it is, quite, it is quite interesting how a lot of the time I look around and these guys are head of PPD for L'Oreal or head of this and head of that and they go, oh, hi, all And I'm like, wow. So, yeah, it, you, you have to be really careful, I think, how you treat people in this industry because this industry has got... Um, a reputation like the chefs and like the actors, you know, because they literally ah, go for your jugular. You know, you know what it's like to be a, 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 an apprentice and if you don't do something, they will rip you to pieces. But now, because of, you know, it's not really etiquette, a lot of people have calmed down, but you know what it was like. If somebody, if you did something wrong, they would throw the comb across the room just to make sure you go and get it. Oh, I've had rollers and perm rods thrown <laughs> across the room and had to run and pick yeah. them up. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but there's, there's that saying, though, isn't it? It's careful on the way up because people will remember you on the way down. And it's something yeah. like that, isn't yeah. it? Um, but it's very true, isn't it? Because this industry, you can have, people can go from zero to 100 really yeah. quickly and like you say, it could, that could last six months, a year, or a lifetime. Mm. But it's how you treat people on the way up because everybody knows what yeah. you like. Absolutely. You know? But also, what I think is uh, quite interesting um, in this industry is, you know, people look for you for inspiration all the time. They look for me for inspiration all the time. And this is where working with the up-and-coming people and the people I mentor is crucial because you need all those ideas to come together. You need that really amazing synergy. So, um, But then again, especially what I love, I love talking to the new people coming into the industry because some of them are, you know, they're fearless anyway, but it's amazing how somebody would say something and then you would go, my goodness, that's so true. You know, yes. it's, it's so true. Yeah. So, uh, uh, young people, fresh eyes. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm always experimenting. I love experimenting. I love experimenting with shows. I love experimenting with uh, my collections. Uh, one of the collections out at the moment, we've had so much um, exposure with it. It was called Britannia, and it was sponsored by um, an extension company called Bellamy Pro. And 
literally in the hairdressing history, I was one of the first people to present women of colour for my entry. So they weren't black and they weren't white. They were multicultural. It, it, was, it was great to how people looked at it and thinking, God, is she, isn't she? And if you see the girls, it was honestly beautiful. But obviously it never bloody won. <laughs> So congratulations on your nomination for British again this year. Thank you. British Hairdresser of the Year. Yeah. How many times has that been? Uh, to date, it's been... This is my 24th nomination uh, consecutively. And, um, yeah, I feel euphoric. I'm proud. Um, but at the same time, it's very frustrating because you don't know what they want and you don't know what they're looking for. So, and sometimes you don't know who's judging. Um, but again, we, I'm in the hands of the organisers. But at the same time, from a company point of view, it's incredible. Yes. Um, from my team's point of view, uh, it's incredible. But, um, you know, I just want to win it and I would never do it again. Uh, because this is a lot of love. All the, all, you know what hairdressing's like. It's like you can... Uh, plan for an award you can be an ambassador for somebody it's 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 so it's such a great honor to be singled out yes okay you're singled out in this country i'm singled out but there's this hairdressing is a very small community but it's a massive in the in regards of what it um, brings to the economy you know but at the same time you know we're singled out we're in the top echelon of the industry. So for me to be there again is it's incredible. But, you know, it's I just I, I want to get out of it because it's it's just, you know, it's not ruining my life. Don't get heavy about it. But at the same time, it's just it's frustrating because the collections just get better and better and better. If I was going backwards, I would, you know, but it's the only competition. And I'm going to leave that absolutely there which you don't get any feedback. Right. So you don't know what you're doing. You don't know where you're going wrong. You don't know how you marked. And every competition now, because of the free world, and you know what it was like to work for L'Oreal and all these other people, you know, we all have to be accountable. And we all have to give, um, you know, if you're a judge, you have to at least write a comment yes. on top of your um, mark. Uh, so, yeah, it's the only competition with no feedback. So you're going back in the wilderness. You don't know what's going on. I mean, the, the work's always beautiful, Errol. And 24 nominations consecutively is absolutely amazing. And let's fingers crossed for you on a win on that one this year. Um, but you know what it's like? I think it's, it's quite an interesting one, really, for people to enter competitions. People are quite fearful of it. Mm. Um, and then it's like... You always never know who the judge is mm. or the judges are necessarily. So you don't know what their taste level is. And so it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? You enter and you're really proud of the body of work that you've got. Yeah. And then it's, it's judged by peers or people who are more, you know, respected within the industry. But you don't know what their taste level is. And it's, I think it's a really hard one and it can frighten people. How do you, what would you say to somebody who wanted to enter competitions? You absolutely have to know why you're doing it. Yeah. So... You know, most people just go with the flow and think they're going to be lucky. And that's another conversation because I don't believe in luck. 
Uh, you have to absolutely know what you're doing and you have to know your audience. And it is quite interesting you say taste levels. That's the whole thing about a competition. You've got the diversity of somebody who could be a Sassoon's cutter. You've yes. got the diversity of somebody who could be working for Daniel Galvin. You've got somebody who could be working for not another salon. You could have somebody who, you know, and I go on. So you're always going to have that artistic time bomb going. But mm. if it's presented beautifully, it's, it's um, on trend, it's current, it's got some commerciality to it, it's got some strength to it. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. But I think the, the main thing is, and going back to the question, if you're going in for a competition, you have to know why you're doing it. So, you know, you have to make sure you read the instructions you have to make sure you've, you've got uh, uh, the colour right in respect of the trends. You have to make sure you've got the right model. You've got to make sure it's not offensive. You've got to make sure it's not ugly. You know, there's, there's so many things. But your yeah. fashion and my fashion are totally different things. So, again, you could have a clash right there. But, you know, people go into competitions really not knowing why they're going in for, you know, most wanted, BHA. Uh, British business, I, I can go on. You know, you have to know your homework. And it's quite interesting. If people have trade PRs or if people have people who mentor them, a mentor would turn around and say, but what, what are you doing? What's this? You know, you're not making any sense. You have to make sense. And you've got to be yes. concise about it. Or it's going to get lost. I think it's really good entering them. I think that you get to have a retrospective of your year. You can yeah. look at it. But there are years when I think to myself, no, that's not strong enough. Don't bother with that. Yeah, but you can't. Do you know what I mean? This year. But obviously you listen to your intuition and don't do it. Yes. Well, yeah. well, that's what it is. Don't put something in for the sake of it. I always say that. And then people always do it. it you know, it, it, it's a crazy uh, scenario. Competitions can help and boost your business. But at the same time, you have to spend money on it and reap the awards. With doing British Hairdressing Awards, I get loads of people contacting me all the time. Can I work for you? Can I come on the shoot? So I'm getting the adulation there. Yeah. If I'm doing um, British Business Awards, um, you know, because we've won junior, uh, uh, we've always finalised, but we've won once. My Instagram is going off the roof of young people going, oh, can I come in for the day or whatever? So it all works. It works. Yes, it does. Everybody knows the Trend Award, which is on the other side of the spectrum, because I think um, what um, uh, Creative Head and um, Amanda and Catherine have um, carved up is tremendous. So you've got all those people chasing Most Wanted and It List. It's incredible. But look how diverse and how different it is. But, you know, you, you have to be so on the ball to go in for those awards, you know, because they ask for so much yes but they're not they're not just the only ones i mean the business awards are great for local salons and for big salons and there's all sorts of different categories in there as well yeah yeah but but do you see but do you see what i mean i'm just saying it's it's like other spectrums of the hairdressing scope that's all yeah and but then again our industry is like that yeah is it not? yeah so yeah that's what's great about it mm. Let's talk about social, social media. So obviously when we started out, there was no such thing. 
No. It was word of mouth and a card and yeah. going how, begging someone if you could Can I ask you a question? Yes. How long have you been on social media? Professionally on Instagram from about 2012. Wow. So I think it started 2000... Did it start 2000? 10. Ten, yeah, anyway, 2010. I've been on it ever since it started. And it is quite yeah. interesting how people really run and, you know, scupper around to get there. But it is quite interesting. I think you build up over time. You know, you just keep on moving because everybody can see if you're doing something different. And obviously, they always say it's the first couple of swipes up, down or whatever. But you can see what people are doing. But I, I definitely notice now people love to go right down to the bottom to see what you've been doing. <laughs> Right, from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Now, your Instagram, you've got, obviously you've got your business Instagram yes. account, and then you've got your personal. Yeah, Errol Douglas One. Yeah. Now, Errol Douglas One is quite inspirational, isn't it, really? It's, um, it's kind, it's compassionate, it has, uh, I, want, I don't want to say... Um, I'm not political. No, you're not political oh. at all, but it has, it's very peace-loving. Yeah. It's, very, it's a very kind page, isn't it? Yes. Did that, has that always been the way with your your Instagram account, or was it just that you wanted to represent yourself in that? Um, it's always been the way, and I always definitely yeah. wanted to um, represent myself. Um, again, this comes back um, from my childhood. I had great parents who always encouraged me. They never said, you're effing useless, you're this, and they never smacked me around the head like so many people do in our current um, um, you know, society. I was always encouraged. So that's that. That's definitely comes across in my my kids, my three kids, and that comes across in my team, and that very much comes across as me as a person. You know, uh, speaking to you or my audience through Errol Douglas One. So you know, right. it's it's about inspiration. It's about my shows. It's very you don't see anything else personal on that because it's work for me. So you know, you're not going to see me eating a kebab or you know, doing anything geography, it's all, it's very, it's an up thing. You know, I don't curse on it. I don't, you know, I don't do any of that. Right. I wouldn't, there's no profanities. And I, and I think people forget that is my brand and I'm, I'm upholding me as a person or as a human being. So people just forget because social media, unless you delete it, it's running around in the cosmos forever. Well, absolutely, and it's like even if you delete it, people still see it. So, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah. Stop deleting, Jack <laughs> Howard. <laughs> I actually went through. I went back to about um, see two years ago. I went through and I just removed loads of stuff because there was more things about me, sort of the dog, the cat, uh, a glass of whiskey, and a glass of champagne than there was about hair on it. And I'm like, get yourself focused, Howard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I did that. Yeah. Um, have you got TikTok? Uh, no, I don't believe in it. I just think it's too revealing. They're watching you as it is. No way. So you can delete that if okay. you want. I don't, I don't um, buy into that. And I'm a conspiracist. So don't even talk to me about 5G. Wait. So. <laughs> so we're going to have no TikTok dances from Errol and we're not going to get quick download speeds from him either. Sorry, Jack. I can get one of the kids to do it for you, but not me. Ambassador roles have been really important in your career. Yeah. Um, who are you ambassador for at the moment? Tell me about that. Tell us about that. My current ambassador role is um, very unique and it's very 
uh, exciting from my point of view because um, I'm the trade ambassador uh, for Dyson. Wow. Dyson Professional Hair. Um, and Dyson is a very complex, innovative... Oh, scientists, boffins. It's unbelievable um, how intricate and secret... I have to sign this paper. I can't say I've been this part of the... They keep everything airtight. Right. So I've been doing work for them, as in freelance work, for, I don't know, um, the supersonic hairdryers four years old this year. I've been doing stuff for them beyond four years. Um, and I think at that particular time, they were in bed with Akin Kinesi. So at that particular time as well, I was speaking to them. So to get this post in this country or for the UK is so significant because uh, Dyson's, um, you know, on the same level as Porsche, Bentley, not your dog, Bentley cars, um, Rolls-Royce, Aston Martin. You don't go looking for those cars. You, do, you know, um, you don't have to sell them. Somebody walks into uh, a showroom, they're going to buy six. Just, do you know what I mean? Dyson are like that. Nobody... You know, they don't have to come to me. They don't have to go to anybody. So it is so exciting. Uh, so I'm working with people like Jen Atkins, who's our global yeah. international director. I'm working with uh, um, Jane Wilde, uh, Frank Apopolopoulos, um, Joey uh, Scandizi, um, Renya. It's a, they've got an amazing troupe of hairdressers. Yes, and they do. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, whoo, I'm over the moon, and I do some uh, stuff for um, Bellamy Pro as well. Um, I'm not their official um, ambassador, but I do a lot of work for them because I do so many shows, and we do a lot of um, um, commercial hair work in the salon. But when I'm doing my professional shows, Jack, as you know, you need to dye hair, and you need to have good extensions. So, yeah, yeah, I'm very proud of, um, yeah, the Dyson one because we've got two, we've got some amazing um, uh, innovations coming out. Uh, the current one is the new Corral um, straightener, which is cordless yes. and um, flexing plate. It's, it's amazing technology. And everybody wants a Dyson. So we've got the whole thing and you know this because when we go back to the salon um how dyson works in respects of um it's always coming up with new innovations so the the hairdryer now the supersonic hairdryer now is perfect because you know it's uh, concentrated heat you know it's not going to be blowing all over the place because everybody's talking about oh, oh, we have can we blow dry hair you know and anybody who's anybody um it's using the Dyson. So people like technology. They like not a lot of lo noise. They like the whole fact, you know, it's got um, a great filter. So, you know, technology. We're, we're very lucky. Very, very lucky. And I'm not putting any other company down, but, um, you know, I could walk around your house. I'm sure I'll find a Dyson in there. Only a vacuum cleaner. Okay. <laughs> you don't use a Dyson supersonic hairdryer. No, I don't blow dry, do I? 
Yeah, but you know how to finish off hair. Yeah, but it's not great, so I don't really invest my time okay. and energy in it. Okay. So I'm I'm I bet in it. Paul Edmonds there's a few. Yeah, all the way through. See? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah, it's a great um, honour. It's a huge honour uh, to be no, it's fantastic. Associated it's a fantastic role. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic role. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank you. All right, Errol, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for show, showing us your journey, which is absolutely amazing. And I've no doubt that there's much more to come. Oh, God, absolutely. Um, put it this way, you know, you can't keep a dog down. You can't... Um, not saying I'm a dog. But <laughs> 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 I thought you were a priest. Oh, okay. Dog and a priest. Um, but for me, and this is the whole thing about this industry, what makes it so incredible. You know, if you want to keep up with the pace, you have to be the pace. And that's how I see my life. You know, I'm doing stuff all the time, but I'm still uh, keeping up with the guys who, you know, who are doing the movers and shakers type of thing. So, yeah, I'm, I always, I'm always at the forefront. And that's what I love about um, this industry. Yeah, and it's great how, you, I think what's really great about this industry for for anyone is that how your career can grow, how different it can become, yeah. how amazing fa- many facets there are to this industry. Yeah. And this is what this podcast has done really. It's shown people who've worked in salons or working in salons and doing really well and doing really different things. Mm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favourite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Colour, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Colour, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolour.com. Jack Howard Colour, C-O-L-O-R.com.